Hi, uh, welcome to Movie Butts. I'm Arnie Joe and this is Dane. Hello. Um, I'm going to continue this whole thing about, you know, changing it up a little bit for our fucking intro. Now, from time to time, I've passed it on to you, Dane, to fucking introduce the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just been you mocking me <laughs> and how I do it. So, how about you fucking introduce the podcast okay. in a different way? In a different way? Yeah, in a different way. Let's spice it up. Okay, what do I have to um, basically sum up? You can do whatever the fuck you want. You do whatever you want. All right, cool. How about this? The ball is in your court. Okay, all right, here we go. Hi, welcome to Movie Butts. My name is Dane. This is Joe. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Hello. Joe. And uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the movies. Talk about the best. We talk about the movies. Anyway, let's uh, let's let's get right into it, shall we? Yeah. Play play intro now. Or play it at the start. You can play it twice. What do you? How, how was that? Yeah, we'll play it twice. Why not? People have that? the time, don't they? Was that more smooth? <laughs> well, I I have to say. People don't know what the fuck it is, so you you failed. I don't know what it you is. mentioned movies. Clearly, and, and I don't know what it is either. Look, you you can't remember the name of the movies we watch some fucking weeks. So like, I don't know what I was expecting. But <laughs> I almost uh, forgot the name of the fucking podcast just then as well. Yeah, I know you said you said movies and uh, <laughs> butts. Movies butts. Cool. Okay. Well. Because Dane can't comprehend what we're doing, what we do here is each week we alternate between the two of us uh, and we pick a topic. Um, Those topics are movie related. So, you know, this week we're doing the best and worst of Orson Welles. His directorial efforts. Yeah, directorial efforts. Uh, For some reason, Dane thought he only did three movies, which after a bit of research, is a common thing people think. People don't realise the breadth and scope of the career of one Orson Welles. Yeah, I think it was because Um, his original deal was for three movies. Oh, right. Yeah. His RKO deal. Yeah. Um, So, you know, topics like Orson Welles, which we'll we'll be talking about on this episode, but how we decide what we're watching is... The gimmick here, because we got to have a gimmick, is um, we watch the best and worst of the topic. And instead of us just deciding on a whim what the best and the worst is, no, 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 no. We use a little thing called math. We use movie math. Basically, there's a whole bunch of critical aggregates out there and movies make money or don't make money and cost money. So we put all that information in a spreadsheet Average it all out, and you've got a clear best and worst. The fucking things we put in the spreadsheet are Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, user and critical reviews, because, you know, some movies are divisive. Some people fucking, you know, critics really fucking love The Last Jedi and audiences hated it. So you got to take into account everyone's perspective. 
And then bingo, bango, bongo. Bob is your uncle. We have the best and the worst. Um, I've already said that we watched uh, Awesome Wells, but uh, what films did we watch this week, Dane? It came out as Citizen Kane being the best. That was that was an obvious one. Uh, and the worst was a little film called The Lady from Come Shanghai. Come on, Dane. The Lady from Shanghai. The Lady from Shanghai. Yeah. So, I um I kind of... So, okay. So, for context, I am... And it's surprising I didn't pick this fucking topic. I am an Orson Welles nut. I've read three books. I've watched three documentaries. I've seen all of his films bar three. Um, I'm fascinated by this guy. So, when it came to the math, I had to... I had to make some choices and I had to make some decisions that I need to pitch to to you, Dane, and to the audience. Um, because it's not so black and white what the best and worst is. Um, it is it is quite it is actually quite black and white what the best is. Um, Citizen Kane uh, is regarded has been regarded for decades as the best if not the second best movie of all time um it has a hundred percent fucking approval rating on metacritic which is insane metacritic is the most critical of all of them Mm. um people love those fucking marvel movies but they're all the time getting 65 70s on metacritic that's the kind of level metacritic is with its um with its uh Let's just say challenging way of getting high approval ratings. Yeah, it's used as an example of brilliance. Like how many times have you heard like, oh, this is like the Citizen Kane of hot dogs. Totally. And and, and, and other stuff. It's 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 at a point where it's like meme levels greatest movie of all time. It has trans it has become part of pop culture. It has become part of uh, just language in general when it comes to talking about cinema. Um, and that's from people that haven't even fucking seen the movie or really know what it is. Yeah. That's the level of legacy Citizen Kane has. With his worst, I had to make, yeah, some pretty bold, uh, controversial decisions. So, if you look at the math and if you look at the response to all of his films, there are technically four films that are lower than The Lady from Shanghai. But I'm going to pitch as to why we're not watching them okay. and why we, watch, when, why we watched The Lady from Shanghai. His worst film is regarded as a movie called Mr. Arkadin, a very low-budget thriller that he did in the 50s. There are nine versions of that film. There are nine cuts. There is no definitive cut of that movie. So, how would we decide which one to watch? And how do we find the copy to watch of the film? Mm -hmm. How do we know that we're watching the same version? I think that that takes it out of the equation. What do you think? Fuck that movie. Fuck that. Um... Another one of his lowest ones, which is still relatively well-received, is The Other Side of the Wind, which is the 2018 uh, released film that was the movie that he was making when he died that took 
fucking 50 years to get finished. Mm. I believe that the fact that he didn't finish it disqualifies it from the math. That's yeah, my personal opinion. Yeah, he didn't finish it. He that's, didn't finish it. So oh, that's a bit weird, isn't How do it? we know it's his film? I think that's a bit perverted. No, fucking... I think he... I think uh, th- th- it's it's interesting to like look at the story. Like, there's... If you watch the documentary that came out alongside it, I can't remember. The, uh, a, uh, there's a documentary that came out at the same time on Netflix as The Other Side of the Wind, which is a fantastic documentary. I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in Orson Welles. It is actually even alluded to in that movie that Welles never wanted to finish the film. That it was like a weird exercise in postmodernist, postmodern fucking, uh, what's it called? Performance art, cinema as performance art. Hmm. Um, so it's disqualified. Now the other two, I feel like if we count them, it's kicking someone while they're down. And I do not want to kick Orson Welles while he's down because he. He deserves all the respect he gets, and he is the the figurehead of independent filmmaking, even though we fucking hated it. After The Lady from Shanghai, the movie we watched, Tanked, which was a commercial movie, a movie funded by a studio, a movie that was ma- made to make money, and as a vehicle for his wife, Rita Hayworth, he was banished from Hollywood because of, because of the film. The film was so negatively received and he, there was so much backlash to him in Hollywood that he had to flee the fucking country. When he, yeah, when he was in exile, he made a couple of Shakespeare adaptations. He made Macbeth and Othello and they were fully self-funded and they were borderline soundstage Shakespeare productions. Mm. I don't think it's fair to compare those mm-hmm. to him working as a commercial director. Yeah. That's just me. It's it's like so someone's home us, movies. Kind of, yeah. It was like... it Actually, yeah. It was like fully self-funded by him. He did literally everything he possibly could on those films. And th- the audiences didn't respond to them. And, you know, I it, it, it's like me responding to my mate Jono making a movie. Yeah. Like, of course, a wider audience isn't going to be able to respect or love those films. Yeah. Um, so, we come to The Lady from Shanghai, the movie that pretty much ended his career to a certain extent, at least for over a decade. Um he made a movie before this called The Stranger, which was a him doing a Hollywood movie. Him going out of his way to make something a bit smaller in scale that could make money. It was his only movie he ever made that made money. So, he was back. Hollywood let, let him back in and said, okay, you can do what you want. And he made the lady from fucking Shanghai and shot himself in the face, which is something... Orson Welles would do on repeat in his career (laughs) is he would just set himself up for failure. And I don't know why it's like, it's like the fucking curse of a genius or something. Like if nothing is going to stop you, you will. 
but I'm getting ahead of myself. That's why we're watching the lady. That's why we watch the lady from Shanghai. Um, do you mind giving a pot description for these two films for the for the people that haven't seen Citizen Kane and for the 99 percent of people on the planet who haven't seen the lady from Shanghai? Yeah. Well, um, are we gonna we're gonna talk about one at a time, right? So maybe I'll we'll, just we'll start with Kane. We'll start with Kane, and then right. we'll go on to the lady from Shanghai, and we'll just see where the conversation goes. You know. Okay, so, all right, well, I'll just do both. Okay, so Citizen Kane is about a man named Citizen Kane, and he- Fuck uh, off. He was a- Charles Foster Kane. (laughs) Are you serious? Are you joking? Is this a a joke? He was adopted as a a kid uh, because, like, his parents were in debt to the bank, so, like, the bank- took him or something and erased their debts. Did you watch the movie? Yeah. I just was like, there's the bit at the, like where he's like buying the kid. And I'm like, wait, you could just buy children back then. Is that what was? No, no, that's not what happens in the movie at all. Anyway. Anyway. So then he becomes citizen Kane. And, (laughs) Do you just want to explain it? Because I'm all thrown off by the by the kid thing. What happens when he's a kid? So he's he's from a really poor family. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they strike oil, and they become incredibly rich. But because the mum, his mother, is the 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 landowner, she has final say on what happens with the money, right? And she believes that they're too far gone to really own it and to run it and be part of it. So what she does is she puts all of the money into a private trust for her son, Charles Foster Kane, not Citizen Kane, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she basically gives him gives custody of him to a banker because she knows that with him, he will have a better life, he will have a proper education, and he will learn how to spend and use the money in a fulfilling way. Ah, okay. He isn't sold to the bank. Yeah, so Jesus I thought Christ. I thought that the parents were in a like a shit ton of debt, and then so the banker showed up to be like, pay us back, and they're like, We don't have any money, and he's like, Okay, well then I'll take your son as payment. No. Of the debts. No. No. But then there's that bit where the... Because the dad's like... Marjorie, Marjorie, you cannot give away our boy. And then the banker's like... Okay, and in exchange for your son, you are to both be paid this amount of money every year for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's an like, allowance. It's it's So, it's their allowance. So, that what they, again, she's put the money in, into a trust for her son. And... They've given basically, uh, what's it called? Right, uh, power of attorney for their estate to this guy. And he is in charge of making sure that they're looked after, but most importantly, Charles Foster Kane. Okay. Well, that's really so weird. So they get, they get an allowance. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's, I think it's, it's, it's pretty well, like she, I think she believes that they're too far gone at that point oh, that nice. they'll waste the money. And so she sets up her son to have a better life. And clearly 
from from how we're introduced to the her husband, he seems like a bit of a Darrow. Yeah, but I mean, like, not so much that he's like he's he's not like you're not gonna take my son, bitch, and I want that money, you cunt, and then like bashes her. He's like, oh come on, please. What what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, like, well, oh, it you seems know. like a bit of a pushover to me. So, and and I mean, especially yeah, well, for like the time that it takes place in. Mm. I thought that men back then were supposed to be men, you know. I don't know it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. Not a very good movie, in my opinion. <laughs> Fuck off. Anyway, so that's the plot of Citizen Kane. Yeah, you didn't know it's not. So, um, <laughs> and, then, and then he becomes rich. He inherits his money and he uses it to buy a, uh, a a failing newspaper in the hopes that he can use his power, influence and wealth to make a difference to the world at, with his media empire. And then it's about him becoming the most powerful man in the world and how he loses it all and how he becomes a sad, lonely husk of a man. Mm. That's what it's about. I wouldn't say it's about a kid being sold to the bank. And then that's it. Mm. That's a short film. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the rest sort of, you know, goes on, goes on from there. It's about his whole, his whole life. Well, yeah, which, it's about, oh, it's, oh, it's also what's important to note is because everyone probably already knows, except maybe a surprising amount of people won't. Because, like you said before, um, everyone knows this movie, but I think it a lot of people haven't seen it because it is very old, sure. you know what I mean? And it's definitely one of those movies that it's like, oh, yeah, that that movie but you know no one's seen it like i haven't seen the sound of music yeah why would i have seen that you know anyway um he's yeah it starts with him you know dying and his last words are rosebud and then the people who are putting together the 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 the, the charles foster kane doco whatever it is they're like What's an angle, boys? How about Rosebud? What's that? That's his last words. We'll, we'll build it around that. Go and go out and find what Rosebud is. So then it's this reporter who is talking to everyone in his life, trying to figure out what Rosebud is, and they all tell s- stories, and it's those stories that we see. So yes. that's why it like flashes through his his life because they they're all telling like different chapters of of his life, and it paints a picture of of the man yeah very good anyway so the lady from shanghai is about an and like an irish uh sailor guy who saves uh, a woman one night and she happens to be the wife of the most uh impressive criminal lawyer in the world and she takes a fancy to him and um tr- and 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 gets him to work on the on her husband's yacht and then the rest of the film a lot of it takes place like on the yacht or him going along with this um uh 
this crew of people who's like the 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 criminal lawyer, his wife, and then his entourage, um, and then a and then a sinister plot unravels from there. Right, that's a pretty good description. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so where do you want to start with Citizen Kane? What do you think of Citizen Kane? Do you think it? Do you think it deserves the honors that it has? Yeah, I do. And uh, I would struggle to say that it's anything less than a perfect film. Uh, I like. I I really fucking adore the shit out of it. Every time I watch it, yeah. I'm just like mesmerized by how fucking like skilled Orson Welles is. He was like 27 or some shit, right? Yeah, don't remind me. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. And this film came out in 1941. I had to keep reminding myself as I was watching it because like the like the the camera techniques uh like some of some of the the effects even the fucking old man makeup like at points it looks kind of not good but all of it still looks better than like the you know the last scene in the Harry Potter movies but there's or like, like the de-aging in the Irishman <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but there's um fuck there there's 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 like a, especially like a huge chunk of it where he's meant to be i think like in his 50s he just looks and acts like a guy that age like he does such a good job performing that role and it's so well written as well like like fuck man like every single aspect of it is just is just honestly incredible and it and it holds up so well and not only does it hold up well on a technical level but like um but like the themes are, are still relevant but like especially in this in this day and age i don't want to fucking like bring up trump and shit rupert but I mean, murdoch like, yeah 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 i mean like especially in the era we're living in now uh I mean, I think the first time I saw this film, it was probably like 2007 or some shit. And so all the thoughts I was having during that first viewing were completely different to what I was thinking now watching this. Because, yeah, all I was thinking was like Trump, Rupert Murdoch, fake news, manufacturing consent, like all that bullshit that we're, that, that we're stuck with now. Um, so it's still incredibly relevant. But what I... What I appreciated more than anything was that he's telling the story of, of, of a guy who would be the villain in any other film. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't like force you into feeling sorry for him, but the characters written and portrayed, um, with like, with a great deal of sympathy in that he's like a horrible man, but he's such a tragic character. You <laughs> see his struggle and you understand, but also it's like infuriating at times. Infuriating. You know? Well, like watching him. Well, just because, because you, you like, he's like clearly an intelligent man and like, he isn't 
like a complete bastard, but he is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that it's yeah, a tragic's probably the best way to put it. And 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 that and it really gets into that in the last third with his marriage to the opera singer. Like there's yeah, that it's just like you're feeling a deep-rooted sadness for someone who, like you said, would be the bad guy in any other film. Yeah, and that's pretty impressive. Mm. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very, um, I think it's very unique um, because not only do you not get, not only do you not get many stories like this, um, where it's like, you know, follows someone's rise to power. And then, and then watching power corrupt them, essentially. I mean, you have, um, you have films, films like that, um, you know, say something like Scarface or Wolf of Wall Street, you know, films of that ilk. Um, I'd say that the characters in those films are far less have far less dimensions than Charles Foster Kane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he's almost unrecognisable when he's, like, just bought the the paper. Yeah. And for when he's the crazy hermit living in his... Mm. In uh, Xanadu. Yeah, like, yeah. They're, 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 you know they're the same character because we've seen them grow and develop and change, but it's not... Like, for me, like, the Jordan Belfort character in The Wolf of Wall Street doesn't change. And I feel like that's part of the point. Mm. And, like, people might say that, like, he might have been a nice guy at the beginning. I don't really think he is in The Wolf of Wall Street. I think he's just the same guy. No. And Scarface is just Scarface the whole fucking time. Yeah, we'll say then, you know? like, uh, Breaking Bad, where he's, sure. he starts out as a nice guy and then becomes evil. But by the end of that's that... Even, that's even contentious. That's even contentious because it's, like highly alluded to that he was doing it. Oh, I don't really want to get into Breaking Bad, but it's yeah. it's pretty well confirmed that he was doing it for selfish reasons to begin with. Right. But I mean by and he the, admits to it. By the end of that, he is he is the villain. And yeah. um like he and you and you like lose sympathy for him um because he's he's turned into a monster. I don't think that um I don't think Cain ever turns into a monster he's he's still like when he's he when he's like wandering around his um mansion and trashing the room he was he's like a he's like a baby do you know what i mean i still see like a lot of um innocence in him and i and I i felt really i felt really bad for him do you know what i mean I do, I do. And I think that it's also uh, a unique story because, and probably, like, because of this film, you don't get many stories um, about, like, uh, like a, a wealthy, you know, high society type guy, um, but being told from, like, a really vulnerable, corrupt perspective... Uh, well, you did. You have heard about the the struggles that this film went through in terms of release, right? Yeah, I was going to say that's probably probably something that other people aren't keen to do because he did it this once, and then uh, yeah. the the guy who inspired the character, ironically, Hurst. then yeah, then used his media empire to um, 
like squash he, the film. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he was slandering it or he just tried to um he just used his No, so they didn't they didn't allow um certain theater chains had connections to his newspapers. So mm. a lot of cinemas didn't show it. And on mm. top of that, it got no advertising in most of the major papers in America, which William Randolph Hearst owned. So it just kind of, they tried to squish the shit out of it. Mm. Um, it got to the point where Orson was going to, wanted to travel the country and set up tents at universities and show it in tents at unis as the movie America doesn't want you to see. Like mm. that's, that's literally what he was going to do with the film. Yeah. Because he had no other option at one point. So. I mean. Yeah. The, that guy. <laughs> that's so. That's such a fucking. Like, that's such a fucking funny response. Because. I know. Because. Hey, that's what he's kind of accusing that. You know, that's what that character would do in, in the film. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like. He shouldn't be offended by that because he's he's humanizing him. I I see. I think it's the opposite. Um, I don't think he was offended by the powerful and the the greedy side that is presented. I think he was more offended by the vulnerability oh. that was presented. So I think it's the opposite. I think it's. I think people have an image. People have you know, their perceived place in the world, particularly people of power. Mm. And here they're shown as sad, lonely, emotionally vulnerable people. Yeah. Someone someone who's a narcissist or, you know, has an insane ego, which someone like William Randolph Hearst did have, I think that would press their buttons more. Yeah. It's so, it's so entertaining watching Kane... Um, how he acts around large groups of people and how he acts in front of cameras or, uh, you know, an audience um, where he, he he's like this larger than life, charming, charismatic, like like portrays himself as like a real like intellectual. Um, yeah. But when in reality, he's just kind of like a big simpering doofus. Um, and I think that's 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 the that's the element that that makes you really sympathize with him because he's honestly pathetic he's pretty yeah he's a he's a he's a sad man he's like a very sad man and i find it it was really good choice in terms of the writing and the direction to not really show that side of him until he's older mm do you know what I mean? Like, we don't really get that one-on-one time or those more intimate moments with him until later on. Because I don't know how they would have presented that with a young, exuberant Kane. Mm. Like, I don't think it would have... I don't know if it would have translated or it would have been blowing its load too early. But I think the choice of having that happen in his later stages in life was a it was an excellent choice. Yeah. And and I don't think it's I don't think it's saying that it wasn't there. I just think it's more important to show that this is where he is now and this is what's worth showing cuz that's all he's got left at that point. He's like you know, his political career is over. He's 
most of his newspapers and radio stations had closed down, I think, uh, by the point that we're seeing this side of him. Mm. You know, it's no longer the rise of Kane, it's the it's the fall of Kane. Yeah. But yeah, um films before this film didn't look like this. I don't know if you if you're aware of that or uh vaguely, but um I can't really comment on it too much. There were there's there's plenty of um techniques that I, you know, was surprised to see uh, in 1941, but I didn't, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know like exactly what he originated. What I, what I, so you know how you were surprised at how he made this like 26, 27, right? Mm. Orson Wells, well, again, I'm sorry to be just that Orson Wells nerd. I just, no, 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 please. Because I don't actually know that much about him. So he was a child prodigy, right? He, when he was 16, he convinced his school to let him go to Ireland on a painting trip. And what he did was when he got there, he just went to one of the big theatres in Ireland and said that he was in his mid-twenties and he wanted to be, he wanted to act. And he got lead roles in a major theatre in Ireland at 16. Oh, shit. And, you know, like... He literally was huge. He was already on the cover of Time magazine by the time he made Citizen Kane. He was huge. He was directing plays. He did that famous War of the Worlds radio. You've heard of the famous War of the Worlds radio Yeah, I know of that, yeah. Thing? Yeah, he did that. He was already a household name by the time this movie came out. And with that, he he um he attracted a lot of interesting people so you know how like he got he was the he was one of the first directors in hollywood or in this era of hollywood to get final cut did you know that yeah so the reason the film is the way it is is because it's how he envisioned it to be mm. the reason he got final cut is because he was already he was already held at such renown by Hollywood and the world and America that every time they would come to him and say, we'd like you to make a movie, he would say no. He just kept turning them down and down until he got final cut. Right. That's how we ended up here. The other thing that I think is interesting is the DOP was the the world-renowned, the best cinematographer in the world, Greg Toland. And the reason... So, Greg Toland comes up to Orson Welles and he goes, um, I want to shoot your film. And apparently, Orson Welles goes, why would you want to shoot my film? I've never made a film. I've never been on set. And Toland went, that's exactly why I want to make your film. <laughs> so, apparently, the reason a lot of these visual things were happening, right was you had someone who didn't understand the rules, mm. someone who did wasn't constricted by the practices of the time, someone who was like an like a like a fresh canvas mm. in terms of visual literacy partnered with the best technician in the world. So you had someone coming up with this crazy fucking idea and then you had the one person on the planet that knew how to do it or was willing to work with you to figure it out. Mm. 
And that's how you have the look of Citizen Kane. And I think that's fucking awesome, right? Like, it's not a movie that's perfect because of someone working at their craft for yeah, he 30 like- years or 40 years. It's just, it's just pure, utter creativity and inspiration yeah yeah it's not like you he followed he followed all the rules perfectly and nailed all the steps it was yeah it's just like it's such a it's such a creative film there's so he broke many, the rules yeah 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 there's so many uh there's so many like strange shots i mean like it's such an it's such an interesting choice to open the film that if it feels like you're about to watch a horror film like he's got this yeah. fucking castle up on this like windy hill like it, it proper looks like a fucking cartoon villain and that's how we're introduced to this character like he is a like a like a comical villain um yeah and then we go all the way back to the beginning and then we get to watch him like grow up into that position but then by the time we, you know, the the film catches the story catches up to where we started off, you have a different you have a different perspective on him. He's not like the the villain that he's established as. It's like this just sad, like mopey old baby. Like he's he's like a fucking toddler. He even moves moves around like a toddler, and he's just like a lonely, sad sack of shit that. Oh, like you realize he he, I th- he he even realizes by the end of the film that all he ever wanted was for people to adore him or or to like um to to love him unconditionally would you say yeah 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 he wanted he was someone who was just obsessed with being adored and he just couldn't if it was his own fault or the world's fault, I think, I think it was his fault. He just couldn't, couldn't be content and would screw it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, Um, that would probably, probably fuck with you. Like your parents, your parents give you away. And I mean, that's something that your parents offer you when you're a kid is unconditional love. And so, um, to be given away like that it's like he's you know that's why he's then just searching for that for the rest of his life but he's never able to admit it but a certain type of love like genuine love yeah and but even then like he'll go in different directions to find what he thinks it is like his political career right like him trying to be the most powerful man in the world or america or whatever Mm. He thinks that is the kind of love that he wants. Yeah, he wants people to but, like chant his name and and say that but, they but love that, him. But 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 that's not the kind of love that he actually wants. No. When like you and you see that when he when he falls in love or what whatever you think the relationship is with the singer, it's different. Mm. Like he you, you can tell by that point he's burnt out by having everyone going, "Mr. Kane, I love you, Mr. Kane." Like you know that that absolutely falsehood. Yeah. Um, uh, presentation of adoration. He doesn't want that or doesn't need that. Mm. At the end of the day, all he wants to do is just sit in an armchair and look at someone, you know, like... Yeah, and have them say that they... It's pretty sad. They, that they genuinely 
love him. I think yeah. that's probably why um, at the, you know, at the beginning when he's a younger man, um, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem so insecure because he hasn't caught on yet that people only say they love him because, because of, the, of the power he, Who holds, he is. Yeah. Because of the power he holds over them, whether they genuinely do love him or not. The point is, is that he, he can never really tell because that's why I love his relationship with Joseph Cotton's character, mm. his best friend, mm. the one person who is willing to stand up to him. Yeah. But then he, and how, but then he throws him out because he, because he tells him stuff that he doesn't want to hear. Yeah. It's like, but, it, but, but I love like the, the, the scene where he writes the bad review and then doesn't he get dr- like he gets drunk and doesn't finish it? Yeah. But then Kane finishes it for him. Yeah. Fuck. That's like, a I love crazy that. scene where he's yeah. like, he he's oh man, that's probably my favorite section of the film when he like yeah. when he hooks up with that younger woman, and then she tells him that she wanted to be a singer, and you can see that 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 like resonates with him because like she's someone who gave up on his on her on her dreams and by this point he's an older man so then he starts to live vicariously through her and and pays for her dreams to come true literally builds her an opera house pays for all these singing lessons but then she sucks but he then like forces her to keep doing it because he doesn't want to see her doesn't want to see her give up because like you know he doesn't want to give up he's like no 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 you like you will do this and so he forces her to do it and then his friend is writing the bad review he's writing like you know an honest review and then kane uh you know and he gets drunk and passes out doesn't finish it kane finds it um and then and then continues writing it and he writes the bad review uh, like and finishes writing the bad review and then fires the friend. And then the next scene, um, she's reading the bad review, but he doesn't say that he did it. He still blames that other guy. Yeah. And I just thought, my God, that is sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the most psycho shit. And he's just but sitting the- there like puffing on his pipe. But there is a weird respect there. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, unless a man would have just kicked him out and got a good review written. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's... Yeah, well, like, then that character says... um, Because the guy says, why did he finish your review? And he says, so that he could prove me wrong. So that he could prove that he wasn't afraid of the truth. And it's so funny because I think the reason Kane, because then he, he, when he's, when he's finishing that guy's review and it's just all negative stuff and it's like really harsh, he is not struggling to come up with that stuff. He's like happily typing away at it. He's smashing it out. Yeah. And it's like, he now has an opportunity to, to be honest, to, to, to say what he really thinks of her singing. Because he's writing as another person. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff, right? Really cool stuff. Um, I hate... People call this film boring and pretentious. 
And honestly, I think it just comes down to laziness from people. Yeah, I think like, if you say that, then you're telling on yourself. Yeah, you're, you're really giving yourself up as just someone who doesn't really have what it takes to watch films. A, yeah. Sorry, dumb like, dumb. Because this is not a boring movie at all. No, not at all. It's like, um, honestly, it's... And this isn't a criticism, because um, I think it's done well. But there's, like, there's these pretty... Um, pretty... Uh, pretty advanced themes in terms of yeah. like the, the character study um and like none of it is hidden in subtext no um it's all like not only visually there but characters like saying this shit over and over again and it doesn't feel um you know like like forced at all yeah it feels like stuff that the characters would say but it just shows like how how well it's written but that it, it basically throughout the entire film like explains the like the themes and like um and the end the character development and what he's going through like his girlfriend at one stage is just like um you know you you can buy everything except love and it's like huh. yeah that's just right on the nose yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. But it's not it's not bad. But I mean, yeah, uh, yeah this is I, I don't I don't even think it comes anywhere close to being a um like slow, pretentious, boring film that I think I, I think you could definitely accuse some other movies of of being, but they're just too. I think like, thematically I think it's advanced. a pretentious. I think it's a pretentious take to think this is pretentious. Uh, yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Like, it's just so lazy. Um, there is so much, like, the thing is, there are so many books, web series, fucking documentaries, anything on the sun about this, about this fucking movie. And, and I know why, because I could find myself here talking about it forever. Mm-hmm. But I can't. Are there any other key points of the film you'd like to bring up? Um. Oh uh, yeah. So I thought again. And anyone listening, go out there. there. There are so many fucking resources about this film. Like, I you yeah. know, like I feel bad because we're only scratching the surface here. Yeah. You know? one, one thing I one thing I wanted to say is that. Um, it's the only film I've ever seen where newspaper headlines used as an exposition can it make can, sense. Can be excused. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have to. I just want to mention two of my favorite shots because again, the, this film is visually fantastic. Like the uh, the use of deep focus w- was phenomenal. Like you know, like it's 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 mo- most in most films these days and of the time, what you want to do is you want to have as small a depth of field as possible to make the characters pop. But what they're doing is, is that everything's visible a lot of the time. Mm. And I just found that an interesting choice. And it's like uniquely part of this film. But two shots in particular, the, the famous scene where she's singing and the camera just keeps panning up. 
um, up into the rafters of the theatre and then one of the stagehands puts their finger on their nose. I just think that's just yeah, perfect visual literacy. <laughs> um, like, uh, again, I sound like a wanker when I say that, but it is. Um, and then the other one is in the scene we were talking about before where Charles Foster Kane is like... Smi- he's kind of smiling a bit while he's writing the review, right? Or am I... Yeah. Yeah, he's having yeah, a good he's time. Yeah, he's smiling. He's yeah, getting a and release. He's like, yeah, and he's pounding away on the key on the on the typewriter in the foreground, and then we see his friend emerge in the background. I love that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- I, because it's kind of topical because late last year Mank was released, the movie about Herman J. Mankiewicz. Um, have you looked into or have you? any perspective on the story about how this was written? No. No idea. There's actually some controversy as to who wrote the film. Right. Yeah. So Herman Mankiewicz was like a famous screenwriter who was known as kind of like a bit of a ghostwriter. Um, he would basically take on scripts, write them for directors or rewrite them and get no credit. The story, one of the stories is because there's two contentious points that people make about this film is that Orson Welles hired Mankiewicz to write a script and he was going to take his name off it and it was going to be for Orson. Orson was going to get sole screenwriting credit even though this other guy wrote it. Hmm. Um, but when it was finished, Mankiewicz was so proud of it that he requested that his name stay on. So that's why it's not just written by Orson Welles. Right. Um, the other contentious point is that that's a lie and that Orson Welles wrote most of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's worth bringing up because apparently Mankiewicz was friends or knew um randolph hearst really well Mm -hmm. so it kind of adds up that it would be written by someone who knew the person that it's about yeah um yeah what do you what do you think of that do you think does it ruin it for you to think that maybe orson wells wasn't the original author of the film no i don't i don't i don't particularly care who wrote it um i just care that it was well written yeah. I mean, I... I'm, that, that's all it should be. It should be about the end result, not the the behind-the-scenes gossip and hearsay. Yeah, I would find it a bit a bit strange that Orson Welles would... I, I don't know. I read a little... I Like I said, I'm not the Orson Welles guy, but I just read, like, a little bit about him and what I know about him um, was that he didn't seem to be someone who who particularly cared what people thought. And so if that's he, the if, opposite of Orson Welles, right. Orson cared so much what people thought. Orson oh, Welles okay. was a pathological liar. Okay. <laughs> Orson Welles would literally say whatever he could in interviews to make people happy. He, every every story he would ever tell would be contradicted just because he liked seeing people happy. 
So he would just lie. He lied all the time. Right, but... Um, but he, he cared but, so much what people thought. Right, but was he so vain that he would... Like, is that... Do you think that's why he had to... Because I always assumed that he had to be this sort of, like, extreme auteur to... Yep. Uh, because he, like, enjoyed enjoyed every part of it so much not because he sort of felt like he had to you know because there are people who are like i want to be the writer director actor just because they want the praise that comes with being able to pull that off i i I think it's both i think he was talented enough clearly because you watch his other films when it was just him on his own and you can tell that this man has a lot to offer right. look at his career before citizen kane and look at who he is as an artist mm. but no there was a lot of ego there like he want the reason he wanted the guy's name off it is because he wanted it to say written and directed by orson wells yeah okay on one title card yeah because i just thought that like if he cared so much about popular opinion he wouldn't have been a like he wouldn't have been a leftist in the 40s he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been like doing fucking uh, commercials for frozen food you know what i mean because all that stuff is i think a bit... he was i think he's just a, i think there's a bit of cane in him he just wanted to be loved yeah and he would do and say whatever he wanted to be loved but at the end of the day like his biggest enemy awesome Wells's biggest enemy was himself and he was constantly outsmarted by people dumber than him <laughs> because of stupid reasons. And we don't really have to, I can't, I don't really want to get too much into that. <laughs> Maybe a little bit when we talk about the next film. Um, what, what do you think of the lady from Shanghai? Um, really fun movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really fun movie. And, uh, I think it, I, I, I really wish I was, um, watching it with like a group. What do you mean? Like in what sense? Um, well, like I mean, to like, ridicule it fun or no, no, no. Um, to just like, uh, to go along with the adventure type fun, like, um, sure. you know, like, like there's several, there's several plot twists. And, um, yep. I was just sitting, <laughs> sitting in my office by myself at the computer in a dark room watching it. And, you know, what's the main character's name? Oh, fuck. I can't remember. Uh, his name is Orson Black Wells. Irish. Yeah, Black Irish. So, yeah, then, um, there's a, there's a plot twist and then he finds himself because of this twist in a real bloody pickle and uh when the twist happened i like called out to myself like in the empty room like oh watch out irish you're fucked now and that would have been really great if i was in a group of people and you know there was like an energy there (laughs) you know what i mean instead of yeah i was just like oh well back to back to watching the movie it's the type good of good luck film... trying to convince a group of people to watch the lady from shanghai yeah that'll go down well well i just i think that it's it's the type of film that um you know when you're watching a movie with a group of people and um you can make like 
quick little comments to each other as the film's going on. And you can do that with, sure. um, you know, you can't do it with Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane's a film to like sit down and watch on your own. But, yeah. um, you know, when you're with a group, it's, it's, it's cool to, to be like, oh, that fucking guy. You know what I mean? You can, you can tell that he's having a lot of fun with the film. Like, even his performance is a bit hammy at times, but it's fun. Uh, his performance you know is mean? an Irishman. <laughs> he's doing this yeah. He's doing this Irish accent throughout the whole film. I always say that never date a, a, a woman with a husband, because if she can fool her husband, she can fool me. Yeah. <laughs> I think you do. I think you do a better accent than Orson Welles. Yeah, it's no, very I, strange. I, it's a very strange film. Um, I've seen this more than I've seen Citizen Kane. Right, because it's not long. It's like eighty minutes. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, I've always put it on at really odd times, and I've usually been drunk, and I have a blast. Yeah, watching this film because it's so bizarre. It's yeah, that's it's that's just good. a it's Have just a few a, beers and watch it. It's it's a it's a B movie, hmm. you know. Like it's a it's a it's a it's a, just a, a noir, and what really I think pushes it over the edge is its boldness in in how strange it is and how it doesn't hold your hand, but at the same time. I've seen movies far more confusing in the same genre, but done with such less care. Right. You know, like, like you watch any of those like mid to late nineties thrillers that star Ashley Jude and they're far more fucking convoluted than this, Mm. but they're just dull. Yeah. Or there's just not no life to it where this film is just filled with life. And you can, it, just in certain instant, like the the whole final sequence in the fucking fun house, w- it just sounded like a whole. It was it looked so fun and would have been so much fun to shoot. You yeah, know? the film has an incredible energy to it. Like it's it's very yeah. jovial, um, even when it's being serious. Um, but that doesn't mean that the film is like entirely a joke. Um, no. It's like, it's very funny at times. And I think even at times where like, there's not necessarily a joke in the script. And so say like, um, one of the main antagonists is, um, the weird dude. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's quite a menacing character. Um, but the, the performance that the actor gives is so silly that I was laughing a lot at it, but I but I felt like that was on purpose. It wasn't like a bad. I think performance. so as well. Yeah, it wasn't like a bad performance, and it, and 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 it wasn't a mistake for me to not necessarily take him seriously. And by that I mean like very grim. He he puts on like a weird voice, and he he acts like quite quite loony, but which makes him like um, uneasy, and so therefore. Um, kind of in, intimidating because um, our main character is is stuck with these people and they're freaks 
and they're very bizarre. Um, so it's good, but again, very similar to Citizen Kane. It just has this, it just has this, um, quality to it that I, I can't quite nail where it's like, it's having fun with its, um, with its sincerity to try to make you feel what is meant to be a very serious emotion. Does that make sense? Do you know why this film was made? Um, was it him? Didn't you say it was him trying to make a um, Hollywood-pleasing movie? No. So, the movie before this was his Hollywood-pleasing film, and he succeeded. Okay. So, he made a movie called The Stranger, which was a bit more basic for him. Mm-hmm. And then he, d- he decided to put on a stage production of Around the World in 80 Days. And it, it, and it is known as one of the most expensive and huge um, stage productions ever done. It tanked, by the way. <laughs> and he was running out of money. So what he did was he called a studio. I can't remember the one. And he goes, oh... I have I have our next picture. It's 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 amazing. It's great. It's it's going to be big. If you put $50,000 in my account now, I'll make it for you. It's called he reaches for the book that's just sitting on the coffee table, flips it over. <laughs> the lady from Shanghai. <laughs> and that's how the movie got made. Yeah, I know. He just needed money for his fucking stage production. So he just picked up the first book that he saw and promised to make it. Right. And yeah, so I think he was he was kind of I think that goes with the fact that it's not like a story that he needed to tell. Mm. Like it's not the kind of film that has any sort of resonance to him or to anyone really. It's just a fucking pulp fiction like it's a yeah a pulp novel it's very it's very low stakes and i guess that's probably why he could have so much fun with it it's a bit like um yeah a bit like a bruce mcleod in that way in that agreed i agree it's 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 a it's a it's a story sincerely told but with a very strange kid-like energy yeah because um uh my favorite thing about the movie um, were the performances, um, and, and by the antagonists specifically. So we're stuck on a boat with, um, the, the love interest's husband, who, as I said earlier, is the, I think he's described as the world's greatest criminal lawyer. Um, so he's obviously a very wealthy man, a very powerful man. Um, but not portrayed in the way that you might expect. Um, he doesn't behave in a in any dignified manner. He's not intimidating, like physically, um, or or personably at at all. For people who haven't seen the movie, he's a cripple. Yeah, he's a he's a cripple. Uh, but also like, uh, I can't think of a better word. But he's a funny cripple. Like he walks around with two canes and kind of has yeah. this like funny walk, um, but takes him, but takes himself very seriously. So he will often be like 
doing his funny walk up to someone and 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 say something like quite obnoxious and and, and well, severe he, and try his to character is meant to people. be hmm? his character's meant to be a bit of a red herring in the sense that at no point is he really presented as the antagonist yeah. like it's more the other guy the weird fellow and even when so like in the story, Michael O'Hara, Black Irish, I remembered his name, um, is framed for the murder of someone. And even at that point, it doesn't really feel like when he represents him and he's like helping him in the court case, only when he reveals to him that he was doing it on purpose and he wants to send him to jail. Hmm. Even at that point, the dots don't really add up for him to be the bad guy yet, just because... Also, the film's so fucking convoluted. Like, can you explain the last half an hour? Um, yeah, so... The... You can? Is, is the guy's name George? He's, he's Grisby. like... Yeah, Gribsby, who's like, um, the other antagonist. So he's like the weird guy. But he, he's, he's very strange, like... He, he, he talks in this really high-pitched voice. He's always, like, giggling a lot. Um, it, so he comes up with a plan to, like, he's going to kill himself. Oh, no, he's going to run away and, and, and escape. He's going to fake his death. And so he gets Irish to um, sign a thing saying that he's going to, that, that he killed him. But there's a loophole in the law that... If you, if there's no body, then there's, then there's no murder. He's just missing. And all you have is like someone who says they killed him, but he's just gone missing, which means that he's technically classified as dead, legally speaking, but they can't. Not murdered. Yeah. But they can't like say that he's, uh, you know, they can't charge him with murder because there's no body. I don't think that's how the law works by the way. No, but that's how it... That's something straight out of a pulp novel. Like, you couldn't... Only a, a weird writer who writes, like, 50 books... Might have been... That might have been the thing... Something. It might have been a thing back, like, back then, because um, it's, like, in the sequel to Chinatown, um, the Harvey Keitel gets away with murder. Like, he kills a guy... Um, because the guy is sleeping with his wife and in that film they're like it, it's a law that you uh if you catch a man sleeping with your wife you're legally allowed to kill him although that might have just been something they made up but <laughs> that just sounds dumb as well i don't think that's how the world works yeah usually laws um, are good and they make sense in the real world why do you think why do you think this, apart from the explanation I gave at the beginning of the podcast, why do you think this film wasn't well received? Um, I mean, I don't know whatever the public perception of Orson Welles was at the time that maybe they were expecting something more. This could have been like, I think uh, so as well. This could have been, um, you know, he's, he's, he's lived by night, you know? This film isn't, this film doesn't really have anything to say. No, it's, 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 it's it's just a Pulp Fiction story. Yeah. And it doesn't do, it doesn't do anything else. And it, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't pretend to, it doesn't try to, it just tries to tell this very insular, pulpy story. But I think it's convoluted, but I do too. It's, 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 um, um, it's not convoluted. I mean, it is convoluted, but for a Pulp Fiction story, it's about, it's about right. They're usually pretty messy. A lot of those paperback Pulp Noirs were all confusing. Like they were all meant to take you for a loop, you know? So it's. It's just part of the genre, to be honest. Yeah. Um, did you know that the actress was his wife? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, they divorced just before, and he kind of... She asked him for a favor to direct her in a movie, and he did. She's so. beautiful. I'm not the type of guy that usually, like, points out, you know, the hot chicks in film, but she's beautiful. I was blown away by her. Yeah. Apparently she was a really sad person in real life. Yeah, aren't they always? Yeah, the beautiful ones. Yeah. Uh, um, (laughs) (laughs) Hollywood, Hollywood starlets. Who ever heard of them being sad in real life? uh, I remember. I remember. I remember. Um, uh, it's in. I think it's in. Uh, this is forty, but like one of the characters talks about how sad George Clooney looks. Like, he just looks like there's just sadness in his eyes all the time. Like, yeah, I never really thought about that. He does seem sad. He does just look sad. Yeah. Ugh. He looks um, miserable. Anything else? I, there's, I don't know. Like, I just think the movie, the best part of the movie is just how fun and visually interesting it is. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you, you think worth mentioning about this film? Um, it's yeah, not as I, prolific to talk about as uh, well, Citizen Kane. I think that it is. Um, it's got, I, and I. It probably has a lot to do with Orson Welles being involved. But you know, I haven't read the book that it's based on. But no um, one has. It's <laughs> just a, it, like it was just literally a paperback. But like, I mean, I think. Uh, I think that you know. One interesting thing it does is, um, like I was saying before, is is how um, the 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 boss, like this guy, this criminal lawyer, um, who holds he he holds power over everyone around him, in members of his entourage, his staff on the boat, and his wife. And what I really appreciated was that that power is never openly displayed. Um, it's just, you know, you know that he's, you know that he's rich and that he's paying for everyone's, um, lifestyle. So he doesn't, he's not a tyrant. No, no, exactly. He's just, he's just an annoying guy. And he's, um, he's like, he's, his economic standing just allows him to be a little annoying dweeb and um yeah. i really liked that i really liked that and um and how how subtly how subtly that is weaved through the narrative that it then essentially becomes a film about how the very wealthy exert control with their economic standing alone by like you know through like salary provision 
but it's experienced through the lens of having to tolerate your annoying boss, which is something that we <laughs> can all relate to. Um, so that was, I, that was what I really I think, enjoyed. I think that's something I felt in the movie, but not something I really thought about until you mentioned it. Yeah. Cause it's there, but it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't feel like that's. Yeah, what? that's just, that's part of the, I, I don't know. It's just like, you, I, you know, you think about themes and stuff and. Mm. Well, I mean, it I just know. kind I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of sits there being a part of the film, but it's not what the film's about. Whereas I think no. the, you know, the themes of, uh, of Citizen Kane are definitely what the film is about. And that story is a tool um, used to explore these themes where I think that the story is just, is just something that's meant to be enjoyed in the lady from Shanghai. And I think there's just a theme that's plopped in there because Orson Welles is a very smart guy and he probably can't help himself, but to throw a little depth in there. Cause, um, hmm. well, unlike- it just comes with, div- with like character development when he's setting up the characters it's like these are the little traits and idiosyncrasies that go around them and then yeah because of sheer talent it becomes something else Mm. or it's something that's easily like like something that's noticeable and something that's like palpable in the audience rather than just traits to a character yeah yeah Mm. cool but it's good really entertaining movie and i just want to uh say that um don't be put off by the how old these films are i'd be honest if they did, i'd be honest if they didn't if they didn't stand the test of time they they do you can you can watch them both of them do they're yeah. really good i've seen both of these movies upwards of oh fuck i've seen lady from shanghai i think at least 12 times and it doesn't get harder like they, it, they actually get easier to watch. And like, I know there are some people that I think they just need to like take off these fucking dated goggles. Like for some reason, as soon as someone sees something's in black and white and probably pre 1988 or something, it's just old. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I told, I think I mentioned it before. I met someone who says they don't watch anything from before 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't understand what that means. Yeah. Like, I think it's like... Why? Uh, just hard to digest, I guess. Really? You know, like Terminator 2 is in that category. How is it hard to watch Terminator 2? They probably don't know that. Like, they probably think that Back to the Future came out in 2000. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Um, shall we read these, uh, reviews? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is a one star review, uh, for, I I think it's Citizen Kane. I don't know. We'll find out. I tried it. Just can't take it by Guy R. I have tried to watch this movie three times. Each time I promise myself that I will watch it through to see all the fascinating camera angles and light shading. I want to see the last 10 minutes of the film and be awed and amazed as I realize that Rosebud is something extraordinary. Rosebud is not something extraordinary. That's the whole point. Rosebud is very 
in extraordinary. It's a very ordinary uh, thing. That's the point. Anyway, I want to recognize Mr. Wells' genius, daring, and inventiveness. I want to feel the passion, emptiness, and all the other powerful emotions that the actors... I hate this cunt. Unique cinematography portray in this movie. Uh, Emptiness is not an emotion. (laughs) I have not been able... I have not been able to make it yet. This is the single most boring, hard-to-watch movie that I have ever tried to watch. I can usually watch about any movie at least once, but not this one. Oh, I really wish he gave an example. I don't I just need wanted ex- him to... Like, there, there was no reason there. I hate when people do that. It's boring. Why? Yeah. I couldn't finish it. No, I can watch why? just about any movie, but I cannot sit through Citizen Kane. I don't watch, need exciting. I can watch about anything. Nine of his top ten movies are MCU movies or something. Do you know what? Honestly, like I'm fine with you know you know one of my favorite movies is There Will Be Blood, and I am yeah fine with people saying that that movie is boring. It is slow. I'm not. I no. I'm. F- I don't even think it's slow. I mean, I understand why they say that because stupid people. Yes, but it's everything it's about is is barely is ba- like a lot of what that film is about barely exists on the surface. It requires you to examine the hints presented and then to undress it within your own mind and then and then and then understand the relevance of 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 all the small things that are happening. Sure. Citizen Kane, everything is fucking just like on the surface. It's brilliant and it's very clever, but everything is on the surface and the surface is very densely packed, but it is all there. I don't, I do not understand how you can say that the movie is boring because it moves along at a ridiculous pace and shit just never stops happening. If... People are constantly talking. The shit they're saying is very interesting. The dialogue is very clever. Every single shot is beautiful and interesting. Like, it it even has, like, like impressive visual effects and camera trickery. Like, this is such an easy film to digest. Super. I just, I, yeah, I don't under, like, I don't think the, the, this has to the the only explanation I have is they have not seen any other old film at all. Hmm. So when he's like, "I've never had a problem with any other movie," it's like, yeah, the reason you're watching this is because you've been told you have to because it's known as the greatest movie of all time. Hmm. So it's the first time you've had to watch something that at all has to challenge your perspective of what a film is, and thus you <sighs> can't be wrong. Yeah. It's the movie that's boring, not that you don't have what it takes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like fuck. Maybe it's like it's like every time, you know, it's like you know, just perceived boredom possibly. It's it reminds a, it's me a of black fucking... and white it's a black and white frame with a, a group of men who who, who stand <coughs> around in an office and they go How's the newspaper business? And the, they're just like, oh my God, it's so boring. Yeah. It, it reminds me of that Skinner's joke 
No, it's the children that are wrong. <laughs> okay. God. I don't need exciting special effects, car chases, shootouts, or sex scenes to keep me interested. I just need the movie to be interesting. Wait, is this the same review? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I thought it was over. Jesus Christ. This film is not interesting to me. I love history and I watch many older movies and I appreciate most of them for what they are. And in the time frame That's a fucking line. that they were made. Yeah. Give us one. But this one is just very hard to watch. If you have to have a college professor who himself has had to read a book about it to understand it. <laughs> explain a movie. What? Explain a movie to you so that you can appreciate it. Then I'm sorry, folks, but then it just ain't good. I have enjoyed- What is he saying college professors have to read books the to understand complete it? complete fabrication of his mind. There's no, there's no college professor that he knows or, or a person that has had it explained to them. This is there just are, there, completely made up in his head. There are college professors, I guarantee, writing books about it. Yeah. But not reading books about it. You can't it, for understand Citizen Kane- Without having a college professor explain it to you. Once again, really want to stress this. It is an extremely palatable film. It is so easy to understand every... That's part of the reason why it was like kind of difficult to explore. Because it's all just sitting there on the surface. It's just like, well, there it is. Yeah, this is what the film is about. Because they literally fucking say it over and over again. It is such an easy film to understand. It's remember fun to talk about, but it's about... not difficult to understand. Sorry, what? Remember how last week we talked about The Hunt? And how that's the kind of film where we had to kind of share our perspectives and kind of dive in to see what we thought the film was about. Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's the complete opposite. Complete opposite. There is no mistaking what this film is about, what he's trying to say, or what it is. This is not up for debate. I have have enjoyed thousands of movies, and I have disliked disliked many also, but very few have I never been able to finish watching, and this is one of them. That's so funny that he had to, like write this so many but i know firsthand people that are our peers that shit on this movie because it's boring and these are people that went to film school it's not boring how is it boring i don't know i think I, don't it, know. I think it's just perceived boredom i don't understand how it's boring it's the mandela effect of boredom <laughs> it's like it's like if there's gonna be any if there's gonna be any criticism for the film, honestly, it's that f- for like for what it is like a character study of a very complicated man, he kind of dumbs it down a little bit. Maybe he kind of like appeals to a mainstream audience because he like not only really tries to make it clear what is happening inside the character's head, what is happening to the character, what the film is about, but he, like, has all these, like, fancy camera effects and special effects going on that it's like, oh, was he worried that people were going to get bored? 
that's yeah. not a criticism I'm making, but it's like if you had to come up with one, that would be it. Is that maybe he's trying to appeal to fucking simpletons a bit too much? Unbelievable. I'm pissed off now. I don't even know. Let's move on. I don't even know any of these people you're talking about. You say it's boring, but it's such a bullshit thing to say. Um, so this is a good one. Oh, you know them. Oh, I'm sure I do. Um, so this is a 10 out of 10. Um, why did Citizen Kane create such an impact upon its first release? Well, as a media student myself, I have come across this question many times in books (laughs) and during lectures. There are simply three reasons the film, which was considered as the Mona Lisa of all films, created such a legendary appeal upon release in 1941. One, this was Orson Welles' first cinematic debut. Even though he had been a huge star in theatre, he was given an opportunity few first-time directors were permitted to having. He had full artistic freedom and, above all, power to direct, produce, write, and even star in his own picture. Therefore, the film industry and RKO pictures had absolutely no influence in the making of the film and were not to know what was happening on set. Of course, this was bound to generate a number of problems as businessmen were curious about the nature and plot of the film, which takes us to the second reason the film caused controversy. Um, that's it. The review ends there. That's the high. Wow. That's that's the highest rated. Yep. Well, well second highest. I preferred the, the first uh, highest was a manifesto. <laughs> Could you imagine sitting those two people in a room together? <laughs> oh my god, the two most fucking unbearable people. <laughs> I think. I think. I think we'd leave and we'd come back, and one of them would be strangling the other. <laughs> like I think they'd actually try and kill each other. Anywho. Alright. Okay. So this uh this this is one Does this person also have a media degree? Well, this is one star. So So no. <laughs> I don't know. Actually I see a semicolon in there, so may probably they do. Oh. Uh for Orson Wells and Rita Hayworth fans only by Wemojil. If you are studying Wells and want to see just how far he fell after Citizen Kane, this film will prove it. The cheap excuse of making the protagonist a self-admitted dummy to explain how he might fall into such a half-baked scheme fails to explain the absurd courtroom theatrics and ridiculous plot twists that eventually ensue. Don't be taken in by the high rating of this film in the DB as I was. All I can guess is that there are a lot of diehard old Wells and Hayworth fans out there. Um, I just no, it's just people who want to have fun when they watch movies. Yeah, I just want to say that I, 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 I really bought him falling into that scheme, and um, I mean he he's he's a self-admitted dummy, but I don't think he actually is a dummy. I think he's just, I think he's just humble. Um, yeah. But he usually doesn't fall for things. Um, but like the, so the reason that he falls into this one is because he falls for, um, Rita Hayworth's character. Um, and so then he, um, wants to take her away, but he doesn't have any money. And so he gets offered $5,000 to, um, to get involved in this scheme. 
and he's hesitant to, to, to get involved at all. But then the guy tells him that he doesn't even have to do anything. He explains to him, um, you know, that he, he basically has to do nothing except sign a, sign a piece of paper, then get $5,000. And then he can take Rita Hayworth away with him. And he seems skeptical the whole time, but he's caught up in, uh, he's caught up in her. And I mean, that was only believable to me because, you know, I was all fucking caught up with her. So I was like, oh yeah, I would fucking, I would literally kill a man for her. Um, so it made, it made sense to me that, um, he, that, that, that he, that he would fall into this. And it's actually one of the things that I was, I was really impressed with. So I don't, I don't understand how that's. Yeah, no, again, this person doesn't know how to have fun. Well, you know, I hope they're dead now. Oofed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you killed them for Rita Hayworth. Yeah, leave her alone. Um, okay. Does it keep going? No, 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 that's it. They just wanted to... That's it. Oh, okay. They just wanted to quickly come in and show off their semicolon. Mm. Um, highly underrated exercise in styles. Ten stars. By Mr. Wells. Okay, Orson Wells... The lady from, from Shanghai does not have the brilliant screenplay of Citizen Kane, e.g., but Charles Lawton Jr.'s cinematography. The unforgettable set pieces, such as the scene in the aquarium, the seagoing scene... Scene in the aquarium as an unforgettable set piece. I loved the scene in the aquarium because, um, because for, like, the aquarium, um, glass, they have, um, just... Um, s- screens playing footage of like fish and shit, and um, yeah. <laughs> at some points, like the the footage is enlarged, so Rita Hayworth is standing next. It looks like she's standing next to like a giant eel. Like the eel is yeah. just like way too big. It's pretty. It looks good. It's a very nice looking scene. The seagoing scene featuring a stunning blonde-tressed Rita Hayworth singing Please Don't Love Me and the truly amazing Hall of Mirrors climax. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, that's one of those things where, um, you know, a younger generation might might take for granted, um, like, like how you can, you can fucking put anything on a screen now because it's all just like, you know, digitized. Yeah, she's really showing my age here, but um, uh, but the Hall of Mirrors scene is is so interesting because you have to remember back then, like they had to physically film everything and then use techniques to like um, overlay, you know, overlay shit, um, which means that for for something that is like on screen for like a second, they had to put in so much work and so much planning and know exactly what they wanted to do. Um, so it looks good as shit, but then like knowing exactly, um, you know, the shit they had to go through to, to, to put that shit on film makes it way more impressive. Yeah. Um, uh, the wonderful cast Everett Sloan in his greatest performance Wells in a beautifully underplayed role, the aforementioned Miss Hayworth, 
Well's wife at the time at her most gorgeous, make for a very memorable film-going experience. The bizarre murder mystery plot is fun and compelling, not inscrutable at all. The viewer is surprised by the twists and turns, and Wells' closing line is an unheralded classic. The lady from Shanghai gets four stars from this impartial arbiter. Uh, well, it says 10 out of 10, so liar. Maybe there was a different system for IMDb yeah. back then. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's worth pointing out that the performances are fantastic. Agreed. Um, Everyone, pretty much. All the key roles, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, All four of them? Huh? I'd say there's like four key roles in the film and they're all done really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably four, yeah. Um, yeah, and Orson Welles is, under, is underplayed in this. Interesting. I mean, like, um, compared to how... Com- compared to, 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 to how, like, huge the characters are, um, especially for the, the, two, the two antagonists... Um, he's quite a, uh, it's, it's a pretty quiet role for him. I think that's actually like what I like about him and I, and made me want to watch more awesome Wells stuff is, um, you know, for a guy who is writing and directing and starring and trying to do fucking everything. And in Citizen Kane, he's like in almost every scene and, and, and he's, he's, just really takes up the screen in that um he plays this role well and he's not he's he's not concerned with trying to outperform his co-stars he's concerned with no. playing the role well um i agree which shows a great deal of restraint for a guy modesty who, as well yeah for a guy who seems to want to do everything uh which is why i you know another reason why i was surprised to hear that um he was so concerned with uh, people people liking him because I was going off of things like that where I was like, I don't think he really cared what people thought because I'm like, well, he's you know, he 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 doesn't he doesn't hog the screen. He knows. His, I guess he knows. His I, I guess place. there could have been a bit of a duality to him, but I can tell you from everything that I've read and seen, mm. he very much wanted to impress people, mm. or at least his outer version of himself his mask was like that of course that would probably be at odds with his you know internal artist and then that's probably why a lot of his movies got taken off him and things got abandoned and he kind of got left behind and outsmarted by people Mm. was he couldn't meet that balance very complicated and ambitious fellow i think in a very complicated perfect world he would have been allowed to do whatever he wanted yeah. Anywho, what are your final thoughts and fart ratings for these two films? Um. Okay, so Citizen Kane gets it gets a ten out of ten. Uh. I'm. I mean, I. I think object. I haven't seen every movie, but like objectively, I. It's like the greatest film I've seen. It's not my personal favorite. It's not something I can watch over and over again. But I've seen it probably like five times now. I guess every few years I'll I'll, I'll put it on, and every time like it, it it'll really blow you away. Um. So 
yeah, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Because I reckon that there, there's a lot of people who haven't. Like, they know it, but they, they don't watch it. Because it's it, it holds up. Inc- Daunting. It holds up incredibly well. Yeah, and also, like, I understand that it's like, uh, you know, there is some... There's, there's plenty of old films where it's like, oh, that's a classic. It's like, oh, the things it did for the time that, you know, there's shit that does it better now. Um, but this is still, uh, it's still a one of a kind film. It's, 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 it's really impressive. Definitely check it out. It's an evergreen. Ten farts. Lady from Shanghai is a shitload of fun. Um, and again, it's, um, really creative and really impressive. Um, like the, the things that they do in there, it's got some, it's got some really, it's got some really strange editing and performance choices that, that like really throw in like some, some extra weird flavors, but they complement the film that sort of lift it above from like, it, it should be like a, like a very average, almost lame kind of movie. Cause it's such a, such like a nothing story. But, um, uh, it, all, all that stuff, like, like really elevates it. Um, and I am giving that one eight big farts. You are giving these movies the same fart ratings as me. 10 for Kane. Perfect movie. Nothing I'll say hasn't already been said. So I'm not going to even go into it. And yeah, Lady from Shanghai, eight farts out of 10 whole heap of well well crafted fun uh filled with compelling performances that will make you stick through the more silly aspects of the film because it doesn't like jump the shark in terms of its silliness even though it does get a bit silly but the fact that we have just such a well-styled film coupled with authentic performances brings it into a palatable zone mm. i think without those it this movie could be absolute dog shit Mm. but because of those aspects it really does make a quite a unique film um so i have a question for you dane yeah it's my turn to pick should i are we going to i've got two options for you and i'm going to let you pick from the little tidbits 80s classics or or an author adaptations oh Let's go, let's go 80s classics because we just had like two, uh, heavier ones. Yeah. Art. Okay. We're going to be, we're going to be watching the best and worst of the writing and directing output of John Hughes in the 80s. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, wait, what did he do? Uh, the Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, oh. Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Okay, Uncle Buck. This is going to yeah. be interesting because I've seen a bunch of those movies and I dislike them all. You don't like Trains, Planes, and Automobiles? Not particularly, and I fucking hate The Breakfast Club. Well, we'll see what we're watching next week. Oh, Thanks just, for listening. just, just, just quickly. Yep. I also want to say, watch these fucking awesome wells movies but check out his ultimate masterpiece which is the frozen peas 
commercial outtakes that got leaked some time ago. Because that is. Are you talking about his wine commercial? No, no, no. It's like, uh, no, it's not wine in it. it. There's frozen peas. He's he's like, really yeah. He's reading a commercial for like frozen peas, and he's getting really frustrated with the um, with the with the director, and. Just check it out. It is one of the fucking funniest things I've ever heard. And he's a legend forever for that alone. I will also suggest you watch the wine, the American champagne commercial he did in the 80s where he's fat, broke and drunk and he can't remember his lines and he has to keep doing retakes. And it that's also quite funny. Oh, fuck. I haven't seen Funny that. guy. Yeah, I'll send you a link to it. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week where we're watching the best and worst of John Hughes in the 80s. Bye-bye. Bye.